We're glad to have Dr. Alan Quigley with us preaching the word for the next couple of weeks at least. I think about three weeks I think you're with us here. Two months. And so, yeah, for a couple of months. And so (laughs) let's welcome Alan Quigley. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Open your Bibles, if you will, to Exodus chapter 2, verse 25, and then we're going to look over into chapter 3. But don't worry, I know what time we get out, I think. I think. I know what time we're supposed to get out. We'll see what time. Amen. You know, uh, it always it's always amazing when uh, you go someplace new and and uh, the crowd size. You know, the always those that are here are always worried about the crowd size, brother John. You know how this is. I remember I was sitting in uh, a church in eastern Oklahoma, and uh, for, the pastor was all worried about the crowd size. Well, here's here's the thing you need to know. The guest speaker don't know what you usually have in the room, right? And so when you start saying, boy, we're really down. We sure don't have anybody here. He takes that personally, like, like they know him and they, and they didn't come because they know him. And so I was sitting there and this pastor, he was, I mean, the song service was going. It was great. I mean, I was trying to worship every two seconds. He'd lean on. I, there's nobody lost here tonight. And, and, you know, here you are trying to do a revival. There's no lost people there. I'm just, you know, what, what am I supposed to do with that? And he just on and on about, about how few people were there. And finally, I thought, I've got to get him off of that some way. i got to figure a way to get him thinking about something different. And the, I'm just going to be, this, this is going to sound ugly, but I'm just telling the truth. The, the worship leader was about this tall and about that wide. And he had on khaki pants and a purple shirt. And so my mind doesn't work right. I'll just tell you that right now. And I was trying to think, how do I get him off of this crowd size and start focusing on the Lord and at least be quiet so I can focus on the Lord before I preach, right? And so I said, he, I said, look at that. And he turned and looked up at the, and I said, for some reason, I have a hankering for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He started laughing, and it was over until the service was over. And I walked out in the foyer. The guy in the foyer said, we don't got any peanut butter and jelly out here. What I didn't know was the mic was on, and the foyer and the nursery heard it. But thank the Lord, nobody in the congregation did. But... Well, anyway, here's what I know. This is when I was telling her this was a perfect day for a Baptist church service because it's it's too nice to stay at home, but it's bad enough that you can't do anything outside. Right. So it's a perfect day for a Baptist uh, worship service. Well, I want us to look in our word today. We're going to be looking for the next three weeks about our journey to promise. And I know that you realize if you've been in the faith very long that there is a journey that God has us on. God really started that journey before we even knew that we were on it. He, he was at work to bring us to the place that we are today. Because God is always at work in the lives of, of his creation to bring them to the place that he desires for them to be. And we're going to see that real clearly in the life of Moses. As Moses is doing his own thing for a long time, and even before his birth, God had a plan and was working and executing that plan. But in that process, he's going to bring him to a place that is a place of promise. 
I want to say right off the bat that the place of promise that we have is not, is not a destination point. It's, you know, we, we often think about heaven as our destination. But, but I want to I mix that up just a little bit and tell you that, that our destination is not heaven. Our destination is the, is the unabated presence of of God. That, that's where we're headed. It's, it's not to a place where we're going to walk on streets of gold and walk through a pearl gate and, and, uh, and have a, a life of ease. No, that, that is not the whole idea of heaven. Heaven is where God is in his fullness and we will be able to experience him in all of his fullness. The journey that we're on to get us to that place, he is guiding us and he is present along the way. And as we walk with him and we experience his presence along the way, we begin to long for a fuller revelation or experience of God's presence in our life. The deeper we become in our faith, the more we desire to know God and to know him in all of his glory and to experience him in all of his fullness. And that's what we're going to look at over the next several weeks in, in the life of Moses. We're going to be looking at how God was working in his life. And there are going to be some similarities in how God works in our life to bring us to the place where he wants us to be. But the first thing I want us to see in, in this journey is that God understands what we're going through. Not only does he understand it, but he is... He is involved in bringing us to a place of promise. So look in Exodus chapter 2, and we'll begin in verse 25. And the word of the Lord says, After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned because of their difficulties and the difficult labor. And they cried out, and their cry for help ascended to God because of the difficult labor. So God heard their groanings, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the Israelites, and he took notice. I don't know about you, but I'm extremely glad to know that when God is looking upon our life, he understands, he takes notice of where we are in our pilgrimage. He knows where we are. He noticed their situation. And that notice is not just he took note of it and, and moved along. No, when it, it means that he leaned into where they're at. And so long before uh, the Israelites were in the condition that they were in, God was able to know where they were headed, and God knew that he would need to offer them a way out of their persecution, that he would need to give them a way out of their difficulties and their, and their sorrows. And so he was working even before they knew that God was involved. He was working to bring them to this place. Over in chapter 3, verse 7, it says that, that God knew about their sufferings. God knew their sufferings. You know, sometimes we think that God doesn't know where we are because our prayers aren't answered instantaneously. We think that because we prayed for something and, and it didn't instantly, instantaneously change, that, that something 
is wrong, that God is not hearing our prayer or God is not active in our life. But I want you to understand that is not the case at all. God has a broader view than we do. And while we are an impatient people, God is full of patience. And he knows that what we are going through may help us in the future to be able to journey through some difficult times, to, to motor through some difficult situations to get us to the place that he wants us to be. So he might just be equipping us to get to where he desires for us to be and ultimately where we want to be with him. I like the fact that it says two things. that he, There is suffering and there is sorrow. And it's good for us to note that God knows that we both suffer and we have sorrow. And so this message today is for both. For those who are suffering and those who are in sorrow. I have a friend that just gave her testimony at our state evangelism conference called the Advanced Conference. And her name is, uh, is Laura Perry. And Laura was a very confused young lady. Very confused. She didn't know how to identify with the other girls. And so she began to think that because she didn't identify with the other girls and that she liked to do the things that the boys were doing, that, that her identity was, was really that she was supposed to be a boy. And so she started down that journey, and, and so she was, she was suffering inside because she wasn't happy with herself. She wasn't happy with the life that she had been given, and so she tried to change her identity. She tried to change her way of living so that she might be able to find some peace from the suffering, the conflict that was going on inside her. She had multiple surgeries to try to try to transform into a man but she says every surgery she would have at the end of the surgery she would say i i don't feel any more like a man than i did before but other people were telling her to do this very thing and so she she tried everything she she even got to the point where she was about to make additions to her physical appearance and yet she came to realize that this is not going to make me a man. I'm still not a man. I want to be. I, I think I want to be, but, but I'm not. And she prayed and, and, she, and she was thinking. So she was suffering. She, was, she would say she was tormented inside because she didn't understand her identity. She had suffering. But over here on the other side... Her mom and dad, who grew up in one of our Oklahoma Baptist churches, who had her and her siblings in church every Sunday, they are on the other side of that equation. They don't know, they, they don't know what's going on. They, they don't understand. They're, 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 there's pain in their life. They think, maybe I failed. I, I did something wrong. Somehow I didn't give her what she needed. And so now they're on the other side. They're, they're, in, the, they're, in, that, they're in the grip of sorrow. They're, 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 they're so sorrowful because they, they have all kinds of thoughts and all kinds of things going on as they watch their daughter suffer. I, I want you to know that no one really suffers in the world that doesn't 
have a corresponding sorrow. Someone is sorry, sorrowing over the suffering of everyone in the world. And, and that's important for us to understand because you say, you know what? <clears throat> there, there are people who might say, you know what? No one cares on this earth about me. No one cares about me. I, I'm suffering and no one cares about me. <laughs> and it might not be apparent over here sorrowing, but here's the good news. No one suffers that there's not someone sorrowing if that someone is only God himself. God has holy sorrow for those who are suffering in their brokenness and in their transgressions. And he sorrows over them. He's broken for their brokenness. I will tell you that on the backside of that, after years of struggling... Laura came to know Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And today she works in a ministry in Oklahoma City called First Stones Ministry that helps other people who were confused with their identity. But let me tell you something. Here's the reality. She thought she was confused about whether she was a girl or a boy. But what her identity was really confused was whether she was to be in Christ or not. Because the identity is you can either identify with the world and its ways or you can identify with God and his ways. And once you identify with God and his ways, everything else begins to work out. So here she is. Here here we are in this passage where where the children of Israel is under a great duress. They, they have for a long time been the slaves of the Egyptians. And not only that, but, but they were at a point now that it had gotten so unbearable that they did not know if they would even be able to survive because of the great pain that was brought to them. It was, it was in this condition that God showed a way. Now, Moses comes on the scene. And when Moses first comes on the scene, it starts way back when he is, a, is about to be born. Before he's born, God sovereignly saved his life. Put him, in the, put him from, from his mother's womb to, to the basket in the, in the Red Sea to, to, the, to the time that he was found by the Pharaoh's daughter and brought into the Pharaoh's house. Moses had had the protection of God upon his life. But, but because Moses, in God's grace, had been able to stay connected with his mother because when Pharaoh's daughter found you remember the story? When, da- when Pharaoh's daughter found him, they said, is there a Hebrew woman that, that could, could nurse him? And, of course... The daughter brings her mother, and so, so God even keeps the family relationship together. And Moses knows that he is Hebrew. He knows that he's different. He knows that he is not the same as all the others in Pharaoh's household. And God is at work bringing him to the place that he wants to be involved in helping the Hebrews. And this is the 
this is the plan that God has for Moses. But Moses gets ahead of God's plan. Moses knows that he needs to do something. But instead of seeking God, he just acts on his own. And so one day Moses is walking after he is a grown man, it tells us in in chapter 2. After he's a grown man, he's walking and he sees an Egyptian that is being an evil taskmaster to some Hebrews. And so Moses looks around, seeing nobody. He kills the man and buries him in the sand. He's going to give justice to those Hebrews. He's going to bring justice to them. Next day he goes and he finds the two Hebrews are fighting with each other. And he says, why are you fighting with each other? And they said, what, are you going to kill us the way you killed the Egyptian? And so now Moses knows that he's been found out. That his plan has failed. And now he's got to go on the run because Pharaoh himself is going to, is going to have Moses killed because of him killing the Egyptian. And so Moses runs out into the desert. And eventually he meets some girls that were trying to water their flock. And, and the shepherds ran them away. But Moses uh, makes sure that they water their flocks. They, they go back and tell their dad that, that this man helped them. And he says, why isn't that man with you? Bring him here so we, can, so we can thank him. And all of a sudden, Moses now is in the household of his father-in-law and... His marriage is, is uh, brought about. And so he's now out in the wilderness tending the sheep of his father-in-law. All that sounds great. All that sounds good. Moses tried to do the right thing. But Moses tried to do the right thing in his own strength. And not according to the plan of God. I, I know that it's hard for us sometimes to distinguish what to do in certain situations. But I assure you this. It's always best for us to consult God before we act in anger. It's hardly ever right to act in anger. Moses acted in killing the Hebrew because, I mean, killing the Egyptian because he was angry. Had he, had he stopped and prayed, had he, had he consulted with his God, God might have spared him the 40 years in the wilderness. I mean, the 40 years prior to him becoming the deliverer. But Moses didn't do that. There is ability to do the right thing the wrong way. Moses did that. I'm going to go out on the limb. It's just us. We won't tell nobody I said it. But I'm going to tell you something. I want to end abortion in America. But I don't think standing with a blowhorn at an abortion clinic telling people how broken they are and how wicked they are and how evil they are is the right way for us to do that. You can disagree with me and be wrong. That's okay. But I'm just going to tell you, I don't think that it's ever right to do God's will 
out of anger, out of, out of, out of frustration. I, I think that God has shown us that, that there is a, a better way. That's the way of men. There's a better way for us to behave and for us to act on his behalf. He never said that we would be known by our righteous indignation. He never said we would be known by our rebellious, countercultural differences. He said we would be known by our love, one for another. Our compassion. Moses has to go out in the wilderness. We fast forward and we get to chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. And Moses looked and he saw the bush was on fire, but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why is this bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Here's what I want us to see. God does want us to be involved in changing our world. God does want us to be involved in helping those who are suffering. God wants us to be involved in restoring those who are broken. But God has a way. And God has a plan. And he doesn't want us to use our ways or our plans, but he wants us to go about it his way and according to his plan. God will invite us to join him where he's at work. Henry Blackaby said it a long time ago in Experiencing God. God will invite you to join him where he's at work. We have to be in the presence of God in our life. We have to be experiencing the presence of God so that we would know where God is at work and we join him in what he is doing and we go with him. Moses is, is now out there on this wilderness. He's already tried to do what God is about to ask him to do. And, and he failed miserably. He failed miserably because it wasn't God's way, it was his way. Listen to me. There are churches all across the United States who have tried to adapt somebody else's strategy for their growth. When you, adop when you adopt somebody else's strategy for your growth, what you're saying to your congregation and what you're saying to each other is, we don't believe God cares enough about us to give us his plan and his direction for us. We're going to have to go out to California and find a church where somebody's already done it 
and has written a big book that's got really famous. And we're going to try to bring that back in and do it in our location, in our setting. Because I don't know if you know this, but Enid, Oklahoma is just like California. No! Don't you think God would have a different way of reaching Enid, Oklahoma than he has Southern California? Don't you think he could, if God could give that plan or that strategy to the pastor in the location that he was, don't you know that God can give that to you and to your congregation right here? That God would give you his plan for his work in your town? It just means that we have to, we have to find out what is God doing in our community and how can we join him in his work in our community and how can we do this gospel presentation God's way through God's plan? What is God's plan? It's important for us to know. It's important for us to discover and for us to do. Moses is about to be asked to do something for God. And Moses is going to say, I already tried that. And God's going to say, no. You, you tried something totally different. You, you wanted the same outcome, but you didn't do it my way. You did it the world's way. And Moses comes up to this fiery bush. And God invites him to do a God-sized task. A task that Moses was not physically capable of accomplishing on his own. By the way, every time God calls us to something, he calls us to something bigger than ourselves. What glory does God gain from giving you a task that you're capable of accomplishing without him? God called out to Moses in that bush. And Moses, instead of immediately answering, offered excuses. And we'll talk about those next week. But I don't know about you, but in my younger days, right after seminary, when I had learned everything that was important and forgot all those things that I deemed as less important. And I went to my first pastorate where I knew all things and the congregation was lacking in all knowledge. And I attempted to do some things. And fail miserably. Because I tried to do what I thought was right and what I thought was best. But I learned real quick the better thing to do is get on your face before a holy God, spend time on your knees in prayer, praying that God would show you the direction and show you the course and oftentimes he shows you the next step before he shows you what's around the next corner and so you just begin to walk what you just begin to walk with God and along the journey God is accomplishing things through you that you weren't able to do on your own that's the plan of God that's the work of God 
Moses comes to this bush that was burning. And he, and he says, God, I, I can't do this. I, 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 got, I got some good excuses. And by the way, he had some great excuses. I'll just throw it out there again. We're going to talk about it next week. So come back. But here's, 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 what he, here's what a lot of people think. You know what? If God were to speak to me verbally, well, I'd do what he asked me to do. I wouldn't hesitate. I, I wouldn't wait. I, I wouldn't hold back. I, I mean, if, if God wanted me to do something, all he has to do is say it out loud, and man, I'm in. I can't understand Moses. Moses gets a word from God that is a verbal word, and Moses, instead of just saying yes, sir, and doing what God told him to do, starts to tell God all the reasons why he can't do it. He talks to God like church members talk to their pastor. Or, their, or better yet, their, their Sunday school coordinator. When they're asked to teach a Sunday school class, you know what? Listen, if you're the Sunday school coordinator, director, whatever you call it, I, I promise you, you've heard all the excuses before. You, you, there are a million reasons why we can't serve God. And they're all good. They're all wrong, but they're all good. Moses hears God speak through this bush. And instead of doing what God, he begins to tell God why he can't do it. And we say, no, that's going to be me. I promise you, it would be all of us. It would be all of us. Let's just say this. Let's just say right now, these roses begin to burn. There's a fire coming out of those roses. Wow. And we would all be, look at that. And then, then the next thing we would do is we would realize that the roses aren't wilting. They're, they're not being consumed. They're not, they're not being overtaken by the fire. The fire is still there. It's burning all through them. But the roses look as pristine now as they, as they do with the fire. And so you'd say, what is this? And then we'd come close. And then if there's a voice that came out of that telling us exactly what to do, you know what we would do? We would be skeptical. We would say, how'd a preacher do that? Who's doing that? How's that happening, right? We would be skeptical. If God spoke to us verbally, I'm going to tell you we would respond to him the same as we respond to him right now. You say, what do you mean? I I mean this. When Moses heard God's voice... He got a partial revelation of God's plan for his life. He didn't get the whole plan. He got a partial plan. Even if he saw his part of the plan to its end, his part to its end, he still didn't know God's plan to its end. He just knew partially what God was up to. And he was not willing to immediately yield to the voice of God. You say, well, I would do. I would. And listen, brother, I'm telling you, if God verbally spoke to me, I would do it. And this is why I know that's not true. Because what God gave to Moses, Moses would gladly, gladly trade for what God has done for you and for me. 
He would give up that moment at the burning bush if he could hold in his hands the full revelation of God for man. If he knew what the full plan of God was for humanity, if he had the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, if he knew this, he would gladly change what he got in, in a partial revelation for the complete revelation of God. So what I'm saying to you is, if there's anything in this book that you're not following God on, I promise you, your failure to do what the book says is the same as Moses making excuses from the audible voice of God. We're less likely to do it if God were to speak audibly, audibly than if we were to read it in this book. So what is it God wants us to do? What is it that God's calling Moses to do? God is calling us to the same thing that he called Moses to. Show people the way to deliverance. Put people on the journey to the promise. To be God's witness in our world. But, but sometimes we say, oh my world, oh, how am I going to be a witness to the whole world? By being a witness to your family. By being a witness to your co-worker. By being a witness to those that you encounter. And if every believer were just a witness to those that were in their immediate community. The gospel would spread through the whole world. I, I may never preach. I'm pretty certain of this one, John. I may never preach to tens of thousands like some have. And that doesn't bother me. You know what bothers me? I have a son that's 26 years old. And he's a prodigal. I see him suffering. I see him suffering. But two or three nights a week, I'll feel the bed next to me move. And I'll feel my wife walk past me as she goes out that door. And he's back living with us because we had to pull him out of a bad situation. And my wife, I'll hear her get down on her knees outside his door and weep for him. I may preach to a lot of people. I may, I may teach a lot of courses. I may be the associate executive director of a state convention. But I will tell you this, if you come to my funeral and all three of my children aren't walking with the Lord, I will feel like I failed the plan that God had for me. Because the most important people that I need to reach are those that are closest to me. 
So when God calls us, when God calls us to this task, and you say, man, I just don't see the whole world doing that. Bring your vision in a little closer. Call on him that your whole family would walk with the Lord. That your whole friendship group would walk with the Lord. Your work associates. God God is calling us to something bigger than ourselves. And God is calling us to show the way of deliverance to those who are broken. And I promise you this, there is no one too far from God. There's no one so far from God that God can't reach them. If God can reach a young woman who is 98%, I think she said, transformed her race identity and bring her to saving knots. By the way, did you know that last Monday when she spoke at our evangelism conference, she also kept flashing this diamond ring because on the Saturday before that Monday, she got engaged to be married. If God can change a person who had gone that far into the brokenness of the world, there is no one too far gone for God to reach. And here's the thing. He's asking you and he's asking me to go after them. To go after them. It might be your son. It might be your daughter. It might be your grandchildren. It might be your friend. It might be your colleague. But there ought to be someone that you know that God is sending you after. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you now and we ask that your Holy Spirit would work in our life and remind us, Father, that we once were broken and that we were causing sorrow to you and to our friends and to our family. And Lord, you showed us a way of deliverance. You, you brought people into our lives. For me, it was Gene Fountain. But you brought people into our lives who would tell us the truth and, and show us the way to promise the promise of your presence. And Father, I pray that we would be that kind of person, that we would be that kind of follower of yours, that we would be, that we would be on task showing people the way to deliverance. And Father, I pray that you would empower us and inspire us to be that kind of follower. And Father, for those who might hear this message and who are still in their suffering, God, let them know that there's, there's nothing that you can't fix. There's nothing that you can't forgive. There's nothing that you can't deliver them from. That you love them and that you can change them and, and give them life where they feel nothing but sorrow and pain and suffering. God, I pray. That in this invitation, Father, that if there are those who need to respond to you, they will do so. And Father, that they would call upon you for forgiveness. And God, that they would begin to walk with you towards that ultimate plan of knowing you in all your fullness. 
God, we call upon you now as we respond to your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.